Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we have a good friend, a longtime friend, particularly of yours in New York, that's going to be on our show today. And she uh, has not only talked the talk, because she's a therapist like we are, but she has also walked the walk, as we have in, in our own grieving process. And I know it's going to be great for the audience today because she's going to have a lot of good advice and information and, and personal story for us. So would you like to introduce her, Heidi? Sure, Mom. And Dana and I have been friends for many, many years. We met when our children were in preschool together. We are going to talk today, like you said, about understanding bereaved parents. I met Dana before she was a bereaved parent. Um, Dana Lerner is a psychotherapist who did her graduate work at Columbia University. In 2014, her nine-year-old son, Cooper Stock, was killed by a reckless taxi driver. I actually have chills when I say that because Cooper was in Chen's class, my daughter's class. As a bereaved mother and psychotherapist with over 30 years experience, Dana has a unique perspective. She has created attachmentgrief.com to educate therapists and help parents to feel understood. Welcome to our show, Dana. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to have you on the show today. You know, when my son Scott was killed, and I was saying to you earlier, it's been 40 years now, which is pretty amazing. But I was a, a therapist at the time myself. I was a clinical nurse specialist in psychiatry. And man, did my attitude about grief and loss and having a child die changed. What changed for you? Uh, what have you come to understand? As a therapist, I felt that I understood uh, pain and sorrow in my patients. And when I, after my son died, I, I thought, oh my God, that's nothing to what I, what I feel. And, and subsequently many, many of the mothers that I've met, um, that it's such an intense, intense pain. It's like you're carrying a weight around with you. And people use the example of an amputation. When your child dies, you know, it's a, like a part of you is just amputated and it doesn't come back. So you're living with this sort of psychological amputation of, of and again, people don't know that that's happening. So many things happen to you and your, your brain changes when a trauma occurs. It's most important for me to be able to talk to other mothers and fam parents and try to you know, help them understand and feel and feel a part of something because um, it is it is isolating. What are some of the neurological changes, the brain changes that come up for you? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, my body, like I noticed in the beginning, I, I couldn't feel parts of my body. This was way back in the beginning. And I don't feel like I'm as steady. I don't, I feel like I'm sort of unsteady and I get, I have anxiety. I have some, you know, I have moments. It doesn't happen often, but I have moments of horrible anxiety. Like, you know, I would go as far as saying panicky, panic. Um, I can't remember things as much. Uh, I just feel like my brain is fuzzy. It's like my brain is fuzzy. It's not the brain that I had before. Well, Dana, and we've spoken with a lot of bereaved parents, and we even spoke with somebody that wrote a book about the fact that anxiety is a very real feeling when you've had a death like this. Absolutely. Cooper was only nine, and he 
was physically a part of you. He was still sitting on your lap. You were still taking care of him. You were still helping him get ready. He yep. was hugging you all the time. I mean, you know, yeah. he was still very, he wasn't separating and individuating yet. No, he wasn't I, in that stage of life. He was really a part of you. Right. So and, I mean, to have him suddenly die traumatically yeah. is a pretty horrible thing. It was absolutely horrible. And I, I said, you know, at one point I remember just screaming, I'm still his mother. What am I supposed to do? And, right. and that's when uh, I was talking to a, a therapist, another therapist, and she said, you'll parent the memory. And that mm -hmm. has been like a guiding force for me because I need to keep him with me. For me, parenting the memory has been sort of this guide. And it, everybody does it differently. You know, everybody does it differently. Everybody, um, you know, whatever that means to you, it's very personal, whether it means, you know, getting involved in something or lighting a candle or, you know, whatever it is. Um, because what I've realized is that the attachment doesn't ever go away. Mm -hmm. And I saw that when I was, when Cooper died, I, uh, when I saw his body, I felt like, wait a minute, I know he's dead, but I know he's still here. And it was really a very profound experience. I didn't realize at the time that that's what was happening. So, you know, as a therapist and, and as we all think so much about attachment, um, we're, they're still attached to us. They're still with us. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens sometimes and people just don't understand is that they they expect they were supposed to like get over it or people will say to you, haven't you, you know, you need to move on or you need to do this or you need to do that. And, and that's the other thing I realized that just, it just doesn't work like that. Closure is for bank accounts and not love accounts. Like you said, we don't, I don't, I don't want to get over Scott. Scott, I am going to learn to live without him that's and right. go on to find hope, but I am, I, I am who I am today and you are who you are today. And my mom is who she is today because Scott and Cooper were in our lives. Right. We'd be completely different people if they had never been here. Do you see a benefit of telling your story? Um, is that helpful for bereaved parents? I think for some people, it's really, really helpful. Um, I'm in a group with some other mothers and, you know, we talk to each other a lot about our kids. And it's very cool because we have a relationship with each other's kid. We never knew them before when they were alive. So we have a relationship with each other, with like we kind of love each love our each other's children in a certain way. And it's it's really meaningful. And I think for myself, it's really it's been very helpful for me to tell the story. Um, again, it's a very personal uh, decision. Um, it's not something, you know, writing, writing is very therapeutic, just the catharsis of talking to people and talking about, you know, for me, I just, I love telling everybody the crazy things that Cooper did and the crazy things he said and how funny he was and, you know, and, and yeah, it, it, it helps. I, I think, it, I think it helps, but for some people, that's just not how they, how they want to manage it. And that's, mm -hmm. that's great. I'm smiling because Cooper was a very big personality, extroverted, running around, giant energy. You knew when he was in the class because he'd be in there and he'd bring in the energy and the the excitement for the whole class, you yeah, know? Yeah it, yeah. it was wonderful. Yeah. And and you know, Shen's class is now graduating. Cooper's death has had a profound impact on the class that is graduating right now, on the class that he would have graduated with. You know, this is a significant, this is the, most of the kids, this is the biggest loss they've ever experienced.
And Cooper was very connected to a lot of kids in that grade. And so, you know, they really keep his memory alive through the Cooper Trooper Day. And I know that they, the kids, some of the kids reach out to you and are still in touch with you. Yeah, I mean, the kids are amazing. One of the things I found out about him after he died was that he was considered the peacemaker in the mm -hmm. class. And when there were problems, people would come to him. So he had a very, you know, you're right, Heidi, he had a very big personality, but he just also had this, he, he, he had this way of helping people deal with their conf conflict. Mm -hmm. And I've heard so many stories about that. Since they're seniors, each senior gets a page in the yearbook and they are having a page for Cooper in the wow. yearbook. Mm -hmm. And you know, I couldn't ask for anything more. It's very, it's very bittersweet because I love these kids so much, but it's very painful. And yeah. you know, I've really had to try to figure out how to keep this balance of, of, you know, just feeling at times just complete despair. And then also feeling like incredibly fortunate that these, that these kids will never forget my son. I wanted to ask you a little bit what your thoughts are on prolonged grief. How do you see that? I think our society doesn't want to acknowledge that we grieve forever. Um, I'm very much opposed to the idea of, you know, and this is my own opinion. I think that prolonged grief, that concept, it it um, it can shame people. It's it's. Um, I'm not saying that people don't have symptoms that they that they're struggling with that they really need a certain type of assistance. Um, that sort of goes beyond, uh, you know, people who have real depression or really debilitated. But I don't like I don't like that term because it makes me feel like there's something wrong with me. Like somebody's trying to mm -hmm. tell me there's something wrong with me. And I mean, how could it not be like this? You know, how could I not be grieving? And you know, people say you're, you know, you know. Unfortunately, this is this is sort of like a medical thing, and and that's something I want to talk about also. That you really have to be careful because certain people in the medical profession they just they just don't understand, and and they it's I feel like it sort of gets pathologized, and I hate the thought of anybody feeling that shame from this or feeling like wait yeah. a minute, I have a why are they saying it's a disorder? I have a disorder. So I have really strong feelings about that. I think that our society, America in particular, United States, is just that nobody wants to deal with grief. Nobody wants to deal with sadness. I was thinking the other day that, you know, when you're watching an interview, an interview on TV and, and they start crying, they always say, I'm sorry. <laughs> why are they sorry? You know, it's just like, yeah. it make, again, it just doesn't make sense. Like, why are we apologizing? It does make sense that they're crying. That's the interesting exactly. part. And yet people apologize. Dana, one thing you've done, which I really appreciate is you've normalized a lot of people, a lot of people's experiences and, and said, it's okay. It's okay to still miss your child. It's okay to, and I like that you hold two feelings at once. I can have joy and still be and joy that Cooper's classmates are graduating right. and still be sad about Cooper not being part of that class and not being and no longer being here physically. Right. I, I can think, hold those two feelings together. Exactly. And I think the other thing that I've learned throughout this is that, you know, a person can have a, a feeling of a horrible feeling of just complete despair and feeling like you can't go on, but then that subsides. You you move into different feeling states. People get so frightened when they're feeling 
you know, so terrible. And sometimes get, people get freaked out, like, why am I so happy? Like, oh, this doesn't feel good either. But everything, you know, everything goes along and everything shifts and changes. And you just have to let yourself have whatever feeling you're having in that moment. Like, well, and that- Dana, one thing that you did, I think really, it, it, it saved a lot of lives, lives and I think helped you as well, is, you know, Cooper was run over by a taxi cab in New York, which is terrifying and every per- mother's worst nightmare. But you went and got the laws and got the laws changed and really changed some things in New York so that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. And can you tell us a little bit about what you did? Well, first of all, I want to say that he didn't get run over by a taxi cab. He got run, he was run over by a taxi driver. And cars are weapons. And I think that's so important. And I, I, I'm so sad to say this, but there has been an uptick since Cooper died of people who children, 97 children have died on our streets since Cooper died. So wow. this is a massive problem. This is an epidemic. People don't think about it that way because we all have cars and we all drive, but this is truly an epidemic. And it's, it's been very hard the last few years. It's, things got worse during COVID. Things got worse. And I, I was just devastated to hear the numbers that that amount of people, that amount of children, like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, it's a little frustrating because, you know, if that many children had had Ebola or if they had something else, we would all know about it. So this is something that just, yeah, it's really, um, near and dear and to my heart. What's the name of the organization that you are a part of that changed it's called some Families, of the laws? For, Families for Safe Streets. And since we started, we've gone national. And you know, anybody who's had who's dealt with this at all and need any support, it's please, please, please reach out to us. It's been very, very helpful to have people to uh, talk to and commiserate with and just, you know, feel again, feel normal feel normal with um, other people who are just going through what you are. Um, And I just really hope that anybody who's listening and, you know, everybody, when you start thinking about it, so many people have had an experience with this, you know, with recalling it traffic violence because it's so, it's so common. But so so Dana, if, if you had um, one bit of advice to give a brief parent out there who is really struggling right now, what would it be? Um, well, it's funny, somebody said this thing to me uh, not that long ago, and they said bereaved parents should be seen and not cured. And I feel like that's so important. I just for people to understand that this is normal, this is what should happen, and that nobody should say to you what's wrong with you or, you know, that people and they're not doing it most people don't mean it in a cruel way, but we don't get cured. This isn't something that gets cured, but we need to be seen. We need to be acknowledged. We need people to understand that this is a new life for us. And this is how we're, and this is how we're managing it. It's so important for, for parents to not feel shame around this. Um, and also, I really believe that people need to, you know, go get, have support, you know, go to compassionate friends, 
do things online, you know, do all the things with Open to Hope and other organizations because it's very, very important. The isolation factor for people can be very, very difficult. Dana, tell us where people can find you online. Um, I can be found, well, and my email address is danalearner34 at gmail. And you can also contact me through my website, which is um, www.attachmentgrief.com. And you can check out my website. And if you want to get in touch with me, please do for anything. It doesn't matter, big or small, anything. I'm, I really... Um, I really feel like it's very important for me to just be be available to anybody who needs to talk in any, you know, about anything. I'm happy to do it. Well, Dana, thank you for being on the show today and for all the things that you've done. Appreciate thank it. you, Dana. I adore you and love you. And Cooper will be in my heart on graduation. I will be carrying him thank on you. that day along with all of his classmates. And thank you so much for building awareness. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks everybody for joining us on this show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.